Welcome to Broadway World's Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Timonini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic, and as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and no longer television hacker, Jennifer McHugh. <laughs> Jen, you are now on the up and up. You are not wanted by the FBI or the FEC or SEC or any other organizations out there. You actually got cable. I'm glad that this is on record. So that it can be used in my trial. Thanks for that. I'm sure that the um, the statute of limitations is up for whatever crimes you may or may not have committed. Yes, I have joined the ranks of living. I have cable and a DVR and have to watch TV like all you laymans. You'll, you'll get used to it. The, the, the cool thing is actually being able to watch live events live. Like, you yeah. know, regular TV shows is whatever. You can watch those with whatever and you don't lose anything. But being able to watch something live and like to follow along with Twitter, that's the real bonus of having an actual approved cable or satellite package. Well, actually, the real bonus for me, and you're going to groan, but it's the Investigation Discovery Channel, where I can watch this line 24-7. Yeah. Okay. All right. You can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at BWWMatt, B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can read us both across various Broadway World sites. And you can also follow Something Like It Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Not only can you find all episodes of Something Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, if you don't hate us, rate and review the show so that Jen and I have something tangible to snuggle with when we go to bed each night. On this episode, we're also going to talk about a movie that Jen and I both watched based on a book that we both read, so this is fun. And then we're going to go through a session of live binge or pass on some of TV's most noteworthy fall shows that we have both seen either one or multiple episodes of. So, Jen, we are now going to do a little bit of a movie review. We've both seen this movie this past week. It was just released on Friday night. And the reason we both saw it so early is because you read the book or whatever, you listened to the book, um, audiobook, and you recommended it to me, and I loved it. In fact, I think I've loved every book that I've read that you recommended to me, so props to you. All two of them. All two of them. Well, you know, I don't read as much as you do. But we went and saw the movie The Girl on the Train, which stars Emily Blunt um, and our very favorite Justin Thoreau. And it's based on a book that, you know, I'm not somebody who thinks that a movie has to be exactly like the book. There are some differences in here. But overall, the book is very... I don't want to I don't want to give away too much of the plot, so I'm trying to beat around the bush. But it's about a woman who sees something that she thinks might help crack a case of a missing woman that she doesn't really know, but she's also dealing with her own issues involved with a divorce and and maybe she might be drinking too much and then it comes to the fact that maybe she might have been involved in this woman's disappearance. I think that's all safe to say, don't you, Jen? Yeah, I would have to agree. Yeah, because that's pretty much in the trailer. So from there, Jen, do you, do, do we want to get into spoilers? Do we want to give a spoiler alert at this point? Uh, let's give a spoiler alert, yes. Okay. And then you can um, turn it off if you haven't seen it or you haven't read yeah. the book. You should read the, the book. Yeah, you should, definitely should read the book. I will put in uh, the show notes the timestamp of when we move on to something else. Because we are going to... You really can't talk about this without talking about... Um, some of the spoilers. So, okay, the, it's based on a book by Paula Hawkins, and the book was based in London. The movie takes place in New York City. But beyond that, and the fact that, you know, Rachel, the main character played by Emily Blunt, in the movie, she, or in the book, she talks about putting on a lot of weight. Other than that, in the changing of venue, it's pretty close, don't you think? Do you know, obviously, there are things that in a 500-page book, you have to get rid of just for time's sake. But other than that, it stayed pretty faithful. Yes, it did. Okay. So you loved the book. I loved the book. You expected me not to like the movie. We have not talked about it. So first, what did you think No, of no, the no. Movie? You tell me what you thought <laughs> of the movie. You always do this. You ask me, and then you rebut it. You say it. <laughs> okay. I, I was underwhelmed. I was, uh, I went into this, I love the book, and here's why I love the book. Because Paula Hawkins wrote these characters so well, and so, uh, with so much nuance, and then she crafted these setups that were so complex that you could see these characters going in any different emotional way, and you could see them doing any different range of weird things, and, and you never knew where someone was going to go. 
that tension that I felt on every page almost of reading the book, I didn't feel very often in the movie. And I thought Emily Blunt was giving the exact perfect performance. Other than that, I was fairly underwhelmed by everybody else's performance. Everyone else seemed to be playing it almost like a true crime thing rather than a thriller. And and I know that's, that's a very fine line because oftentimes true crime things are thrilling, but it just seemed like a very different performance than what Emily Blunt was giving. And I thought Emily Blunt was much more in line with what the book would have necessitated than everybody else. Okay. So I take it you don't agree? I actually do agree. Oh, um, wow. Okay, good. I wrote that I thought Emily Blunt was fantastic. I thought she hit all the right notes. I don't know what was missing. Like, I I really hate the book as better people. I hate it. I hate hearing it. I just hate being that person. But And you assumed I would be that person. I did, yeah. But it's like you said, like, she outlines all these characters in the book. And even though they're, none of them are great people, but you still want to know the outcome. Whereas in the movie, I didn't like anybody. Like, I wasn't. It just, the tension wasn't there, and I don't know what it was. I can't put my finger on it. it, it it's so similar to the book. Like, they really were loyal yeah. to it, but it just didn't, the reveal in the book is so shocking and like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. And in the movie, it was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think in the book, and, and tell me if you had a different experience while while reading the book, is that maybe because it's a longer form, you know, you read it, it's a lot more than a two-hour movie. But it seemed like at any point, any turn could be the one that revealed who actually, spoiler alert, killed Megan Hipwell, who is the woman that uh, Emily Blunt witnesses on a regular basis as her train passes her house. You never know if it's going to be her husband who's the killer, her psychiatrist who's the killer. Maybe it's it's Rachel's uh, ex-husband. You never know. And every time they you think that they're revealing something... It turns. In the movie, maybe because we are so used to the formula of a movie that each time we learn something, we're like, oh, my God, it could be uh, Kamal Ab- Dr. Kamal Abdick. You're like, no, it's only an hour into the movie. It's not him. Or when we mm-hmm. see Megan Hipwell's husband, uh, Scott, kind of get really violent with Rachel, we're like, oh, he's clearly the guy in the book. But in the movie, you're like, nope, still got 30 minutes left. Clearly not him. So I never felt like... Maybe it's maybe they're going to change it in the in the movie. Maybe they're going to go somewhere different. Maybe they're not going to make Tom be the killer. But in the movie, you just always felt like, yeah, they're pretty much setting it up exactly how they did in the book. And so the reveal is going to come and it's going to be Tom. You know, I I just never felt that anticipation of, oh, my God, is it going to be him? And maybe that's because I knew the story, but I just never felt that that edge of your seat tension at any point, really. Yeah, and I'll be interested to hear what people who haven't read the book think mm-hmm. of it. Maybe it's a different experience, but maybe having the knowledge going into it, you know, like, I mean, I know for a fact that I was more psychoanalyzing the murderers' <laughs> movements and, you know, their, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but more closely, whereas in the book, I was doing that to everybody because yeah. I didn't know. Right. So and be, maybe and that be- does get into it. Yeah, I mean, and in the book, there were people who, uh, you know, I, for a long time in the book, or at different times in the book, I thought that, um, this is going to get complicated, Rachel's ex-husband's new wife, Anna, I thought she might have been the killer. That never really comes up in the movie. You know, I thought there could have been something else with maybe one of the detectives involved who was played by Allison Janney in the film. In the book, I thought, man, she's acting really odd. Like, I wonder if there's some backstory there. You know, and so you never really have that tension in the movie. And the film has a great cast, though. Like, it's really interesting. It has a really great supporting cast. We mentioned Emily Blunt as Rachel, who is the, the I don't want to say narrator, because there's multiple people who you see the perspective from in this movie. But she's the main character. Her ex-husband is played by Justin Thoreau, who we both gushed about for this entire time we've been doing this show. His new wife uh, is played by Rebecca Ferguson, who I have to admit I don't know anything about. Megan Hipwell, who's the woman who disappears. She is played by Haley Bennett, someone else I don't know anything about. Her husband is played by Luke Evans, who I know 
a little bit just because he's been in a lot of things, but I don't know much about him. He's a British um, uh, actor. He was a, a theater guy as well, done some of the Fast and Furious movies, but he was in the, the Hobbit, one of the Hobbit movies. I don't really know much about him, but I recognize him. He is playing Gaston in the Beauty and the Beast movie that's coming out in in the spring. So I kind of recognized him. But beyond that, you also had Alice and Janney, Lisa Kudrow, Laura Prepon. Like, these are, like, really good supporting people, and they don't really do a whole lot. Um, Yeah, two nitpicky things. One, why do you think there was the decision to relocate it with New York when you have a lead actress that is British? Don't understand. Yeah, and she kept her British accent. Yeah, it's not like she was playing an American. <laughs> it just made no sense. And second, I can't focus on anything but Laura Prepon's eyebrows. And I know that that's an occupational hazard because I work in eyebrows, but they were driving me crazy. (laughs) I work in eyebrows. Yes. Yeah, that's something that I don't think we've uh, delved into on this show before. But your day job when you are not writing for Broadway World is in the eyebrow cosmetics world. Is that a safe way to describe it? Okay. All right. So, yeah, that was a little odd. She was underused because I actually felt like the character of Kathy was more integral in the book than it was in the movie. Lisa Kudrow, who literally shows up for all of four minutes at the most, uh, and the film seemed really odd to cast her in that role, but maybe it was supposed to be a red herring, but I don't see that. So overall, I think the, you know, the movie was good, but it was not, it did not rise to the level of Gone Girl, which I think is what they were hoping for. It it has a lot in terms of the book that line up with that, but it wasn't wasn't great so far. It's already made forty one million dollars both domestic and foreign, so it's making money. It only cost forty five million to make, so it's going to be profitable. So I'm very happy for that. But I just it was disappointing. I agree. Okay, I know you hate when we agree on stuff. I do. It's really depressing. I saw her. I saw her from the train. <laughs> She was, she was with this man. Just for a second. Is this her? Can you tell me where you were Friday night? Okay, we're going to play a game of Live Binge or Pass, looking at some of the new television shows this fall season. How this works is live means you have to watch it live. You can't wait a single minute to find out what happens on the show. Binge is, ah, you don't have to watch it live. Maybe you'll let two or three weeks go by and watch them all in a row. Or Pass means that, eh, I've watched an episode or two, and I'm going to let this go and not keep up with it. Jen, depending on what show we're talking about, um, generally, for most of them, you and I have both seen at least one episode. Some you've watched multiple ones. Some I've watched multiple ones of. There are a few that that one of us have not caught up on, but the other one has. So we'll kind of go through each and kind of explain where we're at. But the first one we're going to talk about is Westworld, HBO's new sci-fi drama, which we have talked about before. We previewed before. It is... A Western sci-fi from the mind of Michael Crichton that is um, executive produced in part by by J.J. Abrams, who we both love and adore. It has a veritable who's who cast, including Evan Rachel Wood, who honestly I did not recognize. I thought she was Allie Larder for a while. Um, Thandie Newton, Tony Award winner Jeffrey Wright, James Marsden, uh, the other Hemsworth that I think they grew in the... Um, in the labs at Westworld, Luke Hemsworth. We also had Ed Harris and Sir Anthony Hopkins, amongst other people. Basically, what it is is Westworld is a theme park for really super, super rich people. And instead of animatronic, it's a small world type robots, they make completely human beings that are programmed to be Western world uh, characters and people can come in and, and live in this Western town with these fully realized animatronic beings. Jen, the first episode was just as bonkers as you would expect from an episode with that setup. <laughs> so, what did you think? Pass. Pass. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Follow up on that. Um, 
everything you just described makes me think it's going to be this amazing show. And I feel like it's trying to pick up where Firefly left off where it's like this sci-fi Western. Ooh, it's a new genre and we're going to, we're going to make it cool. I was so bored. Oh my God. (laughs) I fell asleep twice. And Jeffrey Wright's one of my favorite actors ever too. I was like, how can you not be dynamic? Um, I don't know. I just didn't do it for me. I, I would have to pass. I have no desire to watch another episode. Um, I'm, I'm going to binge because I, you know, we often talk about how hard it is to make a pilot. Um, so I'm interested to see now that they've got the setup done. I'm very interested in the character who's just called the man in black, who's played by Ed Harris. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that character. He's really the only one I'm interested in. Uh, it was weird. It was kooky. Uh, where Firefly has, a ton of humor and Nathan Fillion is just kind of a fun guy. Westworld is super serious and I didn't really like it all that much, but I was I'm intrigued enough by Ed Harris's character to watch another episode or two, but it's got a short leash for me. So I think we're, we're not on the exact same page, but we're on tangential pages. Okay, the next one that we want to dive into is This Is Us. It's the new dramedy from Dan Fogelman, who brought you um, Gallivant, who we were both fans of, the, the movie Crazy Stupid Love, which I think is a criminally underrated film. It's about, again, spoilers. I mean, it's been out for like two, three weeks now. So it's, it's basically about a family um, and and how they interact and how they live. It's very similar, and I think in some ways, to Parenthood. But if you know Dan Fogelman, you know that there's always a twist. So if you haven't watched the pilot of This Is Us, there's a twist at the end that I have to admit, even though I know Dan Fogelman's work well, I didn't see coming. And I don't want to give too much away about this because we're not going to dive deep into this. But um what did Jen, first off, I, I'm on binge. I, I enjoyed it enough and I love the cast of Mandy Moore. Always loved me some Mandy Moore. Um, Milo Ventimiglia from Heroes, Sterling K. Brown, Chrissy Metz, Justin Hartley, who goes back to my days of Smallville. And even before that, he did a pilot for an Aquaman TV show that also starred, um, Adrian Palicki, which I still, I bought on iTunes and it never went to air, but I love it. Has, Ron Stevens-Jones from Mr. Robot and his daughters in Hamilton. So it has a great cast, but it, well, I don't want to steal your thing. I'm in a binge. Jen, how did you describe this show? Uh, emotional porn. Yes, emotional porn. Why do you say that? Because um, NBC loves to create these dramas that are, desi- that are designed to make you cry every week. They did it with Parenthood, and I got sucked in. I'm not doing it again. I can't handle it. Um, the pilot was, it was good. I thought it was well-written. It was a great group of actors, but I just, I'm not going to make an appointment to cry for an hour every week. I can't do it. So, so that's a, that's a so pass that's a, for me. That's a pass for you. Okay. I'm going to keep watching just because I love the cast and it, I think it's very well-written. I think it's really super interesting. So I'm going to, I'm going to see how it goes. Um, but I still don't know what the show is, I guess. Um, I think some of the characters are really, really interesting, and they're all in very different places. So I'm interested to see what they do with it, but I'm not sure what it is. So we'll wait and see. The next show is another Dan Fogelman show, which is why I wanted to do this next. And this is one, another one that we've previewed that we both were really excited about, and that is Pitch. It's a Fox drama about the first woman to ever play in the in the major leagues. It, again, is a Dan Fogelman show, so you should have expected the twist at the end. But even though like I kind of got to the twist early, I didn't see it coming when it actually happened. So there's a twist in this one as well. I've only seen the first episode, Jen. Have you seen more than that? No, I just saw the first. Okay, so... I am I'm on binge. Um, in fact, I... I would have probably been on live, but the second episode didn't tape on my DVR and it wasn't pulling up on uh, on on demand. So I have to wait. Um, I had to wait and get it on Hulu and I just haven't gotten to it. But I love baseball. Um, I love uh, Mark Paul Gossler, who plays the catcher. I think the woman who who plays Jenny Baker, Kylie uh, Bunbury, is is really, really compelling. Again, Allie Larder, not in Westworld, but 
is in pitch. She's also really good. Bob Balaban is the Padres owner in this. Dan Loria is the manager. So it's got a really, really good cast. And I love kind of the idea of baseball, again, being at the forefront of changing some sort of social convention that we haven't seen before. There's obviously mention of Jackie Robinson in that first episode, which I think is very on point with this show. Um, but there's also seems to be a lot more going on about, you know, parenting a lot about how men and women interact in a workplace, power, all these other things. Uh, I didn't mention Mark Consuelos, who's also on this, um, Kelly Ripa's husband, uh, Mateo Santos on All My Children. Very, you know, I like him too. So I enjoyed it. I, um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll binge it until it becomes tedious. <laughs> Um, I may binge it. I haven't decided yet. I, where I liked the twist in This Is Us, I didn't like the twist in Pitch. I thought it was really cliche and kind of melodramatic. And, um, you know, my disgust for Joe Buck. So that immediately turned me off because I can't listen to his douchey voice once a week. Um, but I love baseball and I love Mark Paul Gosler. So I don't know if I can necessarily stay away from it, but I'm not going to tune in every week. Maybe if I binge it, I can mute Joe Buck, which I wish I could do in real life. And um, then I could actually stomach listening or watching the show. Yeah. For those of you that aren't baseball fans, Joe Buck is Fox's play-by-play analyst for uh, for baseball, as well as their main lead play-by-play analyst for football. He is the son of the great Jack Buck, who gave the legendary call from the Dodgers 1988 Kirk Gibson home run. Was it 88? I think it was 88. I don't believe what I just saw. Um, so a legendary guy who a lot of people think only get, got his job because of nepotism. I personally am a fan of Joe Buck. Jen is not. And I'm pretty much on the incredibly small minority on this. But yeah, so I enjoyed it. Picture an actual douchebag with a mouth and that's Joe Buck. So basically, if you saw Sausage Party, uh, which... Which actually does have a talking douchebag in it. There you go. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna binge it. I enjoyed it. Put a pin in this twist, Jen, because we're gonna talk about this twist a little bit later. Okay, okay the next show that we are gonna talk about is a CW show that on our last episode, Jen, you mentioned. And that is the new, I don't know, is it a, I think it's a comedy drama that fits very well in the scope of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin called No Tomorrow. It stars Tori Anderson as a woman named Evie. It stars Joshua Sassy, speaking of Gallivant, who played Gallivant. Uh, he plays a character named Xavier, or just Xavier. It's Xavier with an X. And they meet. They have a really fun, flirtatious relationship. And then as they're starting to get closer, Xavier explains that he believes in eight months the world is going to be struck by an asteroid and everyone is going to die. So he lives his life just doing whatever the hell he wants. He has a list of things he wants to do before he dies that he calls the Apocalypse, which I think is really funny. And um, he just kind of lives life however he wants. Evie is a very buttoned up, fairly conservative by the book woman who their personalities don't mesh, but yet they have oodles and oodles of chemistry so uh jen where do you stand on no tomorrow oh definitely live this is a jen show to a t um (laughs) he is his charm is off the charts and i knew that from gallivant but this is a different role but oh my god i would watch him for days it is just 100% 100% delightful. There's n- it's not deep. It's not anything, you know, Shakespearean, but I smiled the entire time and I will watch it live. Yeah, I I'm with you on live on this one actually. It it was so fun and so charming. And you're right, Joshua Sassy takes the takes the the smoldering fun charm up a level from from Gallivant, but I got to tell you, Tori Anderson who plays Evie, she's uh, not uncharming in her own right. Is she a newbie? I don't know. I don't recognize she's her. She, yeah, she's had some shows that I am not familiar with. Maybe she's, let's see here. Yeah, she's Canadian. So it looks like she's done some Canadian television um, that I'm unaware of. She did apparently do a guest spot on on True Calling, which means I've seen her before. 
uh, oh, and the pilot. She was in the pilot of True Calling, which was one of my favorite Gone Before It's Time shows. But it was great. I mean, it was just so much fun. I love these shows that have just these characters that are so obviously perfect for each other, but they're in no way perfect for each other. You know, it's like, it's just like, so many times when we see movies and stuff, it's cut and paste. Okay, we know who's going to be together. And the only reason they're together is because they're the leads of the show. Evie and Xavier are so perfect for each other because those are people in real life who are perfect for each other. Not the actors, but the characters. There's just this natural puzzle piece fit between their worldviews that it just seems so right. Like, I root for them. They make me smile. Their interactions... Um, where they disagree and where he's really excited and she's not and vice versa. It just seems so real and it, it is really engaging and really delightful, as you said. And it's got a really great supporting cast. Um, Amy Peets. Yeah, plays her uh, plays her boss, right? Yeah, it's nice to see her again. Tell me where she is. she an office person, I think? I knew her from Caroline in the City. There's a throwback. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. She was also on The Office. She played Donna on The Office. But yeah, Caroline in the City. That's right. She was uh, Caroline's best friend. Her dad is played by Ted McGinley, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. So he comes on screen and I'm like, oh, he looks really familiar. And then I looked it up. I didn't recognize him at all. But why is it nice to see him again? Yeah, from Married with Children and Hope and Faith. He was a, a West Wing guy a little bit, too. Um, Sports Night as well. So yeah, he's... Uh, it was great to see him. I, I loved, I did not, I don't know who this person is, but um, uh, Evie's sister is also really good on that too. Her name is Kelly Stables, and uh, she's done some things that I don't really know much about. She was on Greek, and she was on Two and a Half Men, which I don't didn't watch. But yeah, so this is total thumbs up um, for, for No Tomorrow. And I got to be honest with you, I know these are kind of not the most dramatically deep shows, but the CW is killing it lately. They really are. I mean, they really have come into their own. They know what they're good at. They know what their audience is and they're really catering to that. Agreed. Okay. So now move on to one that is not dissimilar from, uh, from no tomorrow. And that is the good place, which we've talked about starring Kristen Bell and Ted Danson, where Kristen Bell is sent to heaven or the heaven equivalent good place, even though she doesn't deserve to be. And once figuring out that she doesn't deserve to be there, her presence impacts everybody else when nobody really understands why. So she happened to be assigned to her soulmate, Chidi, who is actually a professor of ethics. So they are trying to get her to be, uh, they're trying to teach her how to be worthy of being in the good place. Jen, both you and I uh, love Kristen Bell. I don't think there's any human alive who doesn't love Ted Danson. So I am binging on this one. Um, Comedies lose my interest super fast. Uh, So I think it's probably best for me to kind of watch these in a rush so I can kind of get more of the narrative together because I don't find the show all that funny. Um, I find it entertaining but it's only 22 minutes so it's better for me i've found to kind of watch two or three of these episodes in a row so i can get more of the narrative structure to it because there is some narrative to this which is different from a lot of sitcoms but i don't find it super funny um so i'm going to focus on that so it's a it's a binge for me on the good place i'm not really sure how to classify it because every week i watch it i'm like uh, I probably won't keep watching this. And then on the weekend, I find it on demand and I watch it. And so live-ish, but <laughs> I really like the the cast. Like you said, the American Treasures, Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. But also the guy that plays Chidi is hilarious. And I love the um, kind of her arch rival's husband. The, he's <laughs> pretending to be a monk. Yeah. Um, I like him. So it's like all these little quirky characters. It's very reminiscent of Push and Daisies where all these crazy little quirky characters are coming out. And I am predestined to not like it because it's NBC and and they're the devil. But (laughs) with that group of people, it's just really charming. And I can't stop watching it. 
Yeah, there's definitely you're not the only person who's made the the pushing daisies connection. I think it, you know, it definitely is not the whimsical, weird visual palette of Brian Fuller in in Pushing Daisies, but it does have a lot of similarities. If you merged Pushing Daisies and My Name is Earl, uh, I think that's kind of very similar to what this show is. It's got Kristen Bell, so I'm going to give it a chance. I mean, uh, yeah, top five are right there for me. Okay, moving from uh, something that's fairly light and fluffy to something that is super serious is ABC's new political drama Designated Survivor that stars Kiefer Sutherland as the aforementioned Designated Survivor. He is the Secretary of HUD who is not invited to the State of the Union because he is the one member of the cabinet in the presidential line of succession who was not going to be in the same room as everybody else just in case of something horrific happening. Fast forward to the State of the Union, something horrific happens, and every member of the Congress, Cabinet, and the Executive Branch of the United States government is killed in a terrorist attack, making Kiefer Sutherland's Tom Kirkman, Secretary of HUD, the new President of the United States. My issue with this show, Jen, is I don't know what the hell it is. Like, I can't decide, is this a, is this a political drama a la The West Wing? Is it a political drama a la Scandal? Is it a terrorism drama a la Homeland? I don't know what it is, and I don't think they do either. Um, I kind of like it. This is a binge for me as well. Like, it's got an interesting cast. It has, uh, Natasha McElhone from, uh, from, from Californication, Italia Ricci, who plays, um, his, his advisor and his chief of staff from when he was the HUD director. She was Silver Banshee on Supergirl last year. It's got Cal Penn. It's got Maggie Q, who I know you hate. Um, it's got an interesting cast, and I kind of like it. It's pretty obvious that Tom Kirkman is going to be a good president, and he's a good guy. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. Like I don't know what it is. It's just, it's not grabbing me right now. Right now. Um, I'm going to go with pass. This hmm. has a very specific audience and I think it will do well. And that audience is my mother. But for me, the dialogue is so cheesy and bad. Um, For instance, when they first, when this first happens and they find Tom Kirkman's messed up son in a club and secret service picks him up. And he's like, I thought you were taking me home. And they pull into the white house and he goes, I am like, really? Come on. You can do better than this. And like you said, I think Maggie Q is just awful. I don't know. Well, I know why she gets rolled. She's freaking hot. But she's just terrible, and I don't buy her as a, an FBI agent for a second. So my mother will enjoy it, and it will get great ratings, and everyone will talk about it, but I'm going to pass. So you're saying basically people who watch CBS procedurals will like this show. There you go. This is that, is that's the demographic CBS you're going for. For the, for the year, yes. Okay, so Jen, you enjoy Scandal. I enjoy Scandal. This seems like something going after the same viewers. It's on the same network as Scandal, but it's very un-Scandal so far. There's only been a, like three episodes. So it's not like we've seen exactly what this show is going to be, but this is a very un-Scandal approach to this very terrible situation. Well, I mean... And let's talk about that for a second, because this might be controversial, but I'm starting to wonder if Shonda Rhimes has a little bit of the Ryan Murphy in her, because the first few seasons of her shows are always incredible. But as I'm starting to learn, it go, they go downhill fast. I think see, How to Get Away with Murder fell off really quickly for me. Scandal, the last year, really starting to lose my interest. I, you know, I'm, Obviously, I review it, so I'm going to look at it again when it comes back in January. Grey's Anatomy lost me after season three. So I hope that that's not the case because I think that she has great casts and great ideas. And Scandal is a really interesting concept. But I don't think this show is like Scandal at all. I feel like it's more, I think they're going for the people who miss 24 audience. And not just because of Kiefer, but because of that high tension thriller and politics. And there's so many behind the scenes things things happening to prevent terrorism that we don't even know about. Like they're preying on fears and, you know, like very topical issues of the day. But even though it both takes place in Washington and has to deal with scandals per se, I don't feel like that's the same audience. Like you said before, I think it's more the NCIS CSI people, the, the uh, acronym people. (laughs) See, I I couldn't disagree more that this is going after 24's audience. 
I feel like this is going more after like uh, Homeland West Wing convergence because there's not the case of the week like on the acronym shows on CBS. There's one overarching story and Tom Kirkman's character, Kiefer Sutherland's character of Tom Kirkman, he is so idealized and not actually possible in the political world that he seems very Jed Bartlett uh, to me, just without the political experience and knowledge. So I don't, that's what I mean. It's like, I don't know what this is. Like, I should, I should clarify when I said that it's going after the same audience of scandal. That's what I expected before that I saw the show. I expected it to be going after that same, uh, that same audience. It's from the first three episodes, there's no shared DNA with scandal other than the fact that it's in DC. So I'm just not sure what it is. And, and that bothers me because they don't seem to know what the show is either. So I'm going to binge at least for a while because I love TV shows about politics, but it's going to have to be, it's going to have to get better soon. Yeah, I would have to agree. I hope that, like I said, it's going to do well, regardless of what our opinions are. Yes. I believe it's already been picked up for a second season or maybe a full, it's been picked up for a full season. Another ABC show that's done well enough to get picked up for a full season is a, I, again, I guess sitcom on ABC called Speechless. This one stars Minnie Driver as the take charge mother of a family with a special needs son. And she does everything she can to make his life better, sometimes at the detriment of her two other children and her husband, played by John Ross Bowie, who is the guy with the really severe lisp from Big Bang Theory, still has a lisp, not nearly severe. Um, he plays her husband, also uh, stars Cedric Yarborough um, as as the her oldest son's new uh, caretaker. He was on Reno 911, a really funny guy. And um, I think this show's really important because it actually casts an actor with cerebral palsy as a child with special needs. In the show, he is nonverbal, which where the title speechless comes from. In real life, he does speak, but um, he is wheelchair bound nonetheless. So I think it's really important to show this type of person in this family and give some exposure to it. But Jen, I got to pass. It's the, the, I thought the pilot was interesting and funny-ish. Uh, but after that, I tried to watch the second and I was like, damn, this is boring and not humorous in the least. Yeah, I agree. Uh, pilot was cute, important, great job, ABC, pass. <laughs> yeah, I think it fits in in the same vein of things like Modern Family and Blackish, where they're doing a great job of giving exposure and um, and shining a light on people who are not seen on television. So I fully support that. It's just not funny. And unfortunately, that's what a sitcom should be. The com is comedy, and I just didn't get it that much, which is too bad because I think Minnie Driver is... Uh, yeah. I don't know why she's not a bigger star than she is. I mean, she's a fairly big star, but I'm surprised she's not bigger because she can do anything. Okay, another one that um, I think shines a light on some people and issues that we don't talk about very often is Marvel's Luke Cage, which just a few weeks ago debuted its first season on Netflix. Somehow, I have not seen a full episode yet. I'm halfway through the first episode. It's been a rough couple weeks here in uh, uh, in Tamanini World. I've been fairly busy. But Jen, you've seen the first episode. Um, why don't, I don't believe you've really watched all of these. You watched Jessica Jones, right? I watched Jessica Jones, yes. But you did not watch Daredevil. Correct. Either season. Correct. Okay, so you're not all in on all of these Netflix Marvel shows, but you're kind of picking and choosing. So why did you pick to watch a little Luke Cage? Because of Luke Cage. <laughs> He's a beautiful, beautiful man. Um, Mike, Mike Coulter. Yes, beautiful man. Um, well, because I unexpectedly enjoy Jessica Jones, I literally got into it because I was sick one weekend, and it had just started, and my roommate started watching it, and I got really into it. Um, also David Tennant, who I adore. So right. I thought I would try this. And this has more, I watched the first two episodes and this is more, and granted, you know, I'm at the beginning. It seems like it's more 
about actual politics in Harlem instead of the supernatural, which I am wondering if that's going to play in at some point because it is Marvel Universe and, you know, he is (laughs) immortal. But in the first two episodes, it was literally all about political corruption. So having just come off of the get down, which is all about the Bronx political corruption, um, I'm a little oversaturated with that right now. Um, But he's very dynamic and like has been the theme throughout this whole episode is that I tend to follow shows where the characters are dynamic, even if I don't like the plots. So they also have a great supporting cast. um, Alfred Woodard. Um, the guy who plays his nemesis and he's been in so many things. I know him as Remy from, um, I think it was called the 4400. Is that what it was? Or what was Remy from um, house of cards? No, Remy's from house of cards. Yeah. I was like, no, I don't remember. I never watched 4400, but yeah, he was Remy still is Remy on, uh, on house of cards. He played Richard Tyler on the 4400. Yes. He is kind of his arch nemesis. I don't really know what his deal is yet, but it's a great supporting cast. And, um, I mean, is there another option than to binge it? Because it's Netflix. No, that, that's why I didn't really ask that one. I don't think I'm going to, I don't have to sit down today and get through all of the episodes, but I, I probably will revisit it and get through the whole series and see at that point to form an opinion. Yeah, I'm very interested in this show. One, because I love Jessica Jones. As you know, I that was one of my favorite shows of, of 2015 because I thought it was topical. It was um, compelling and it, discussed issues that we don't often discuss and unfortunately issues of consent and different forms of sexual assault are now thanks to billy bush back in the published public consciousness where i look at luke cage it does something completely different because all of these marvel netflix shows even though they all overlap they have characters in common including rosario dawson who returns as claire temple the night nurse for Luke Cage, um, they're very much their own standalone things. Daredevil was very much kind of in this action kung fu kind of world. Jessica Jones was very much in this noir world. Luke Cage is kind of a, a black exploitation film from the seventies. It has that vibe. So to me, what I think is really super interesting, and I like I said, I've only gotten halfway through the episode, but I saw enough of Luke Cage from Jessica Jones. I think it's really kind of important that we have the lead character on a Marvel series who is a bulletproof black man. I I don't know where they take that. Like you said, there's a lot of political things that go on in this season. Uh, Alfre Woodard character is um, is a councilwoman in Harlem. This one's set in Harlem as opposed to Hell's Kitchen where the first two series were. But I think that's really interesting and really important to have a bulletproof black man on, it's not television, but, you know, on, on a major uh, television series. So I'm all for it and I'm really excited to get through it. The one thing that I think is kind of weird is that Alfre Woodard appeared in the most recent Marvel movie, Captain America Civil War, as a different character. And at the time, Jen, I think we noted like, wow, why the hell they'd spend so much money on Alfre Woodard to be a completely different or to be a, such a small cameo character. So when I saw that she was going to be in Luke Cage, I thought, oh, okay, that makes sense. It was a tie in there. Nope. She plays a completely different character. So I don't know if there will be a tie in at some point, but I found that to be really interesting and really kind of odd because the Marvel Cinematic Universe seems to be so well planned and so well integrated throughout everything that they do. But that kind of weird continuity error strikes me as unusual. But yeah, now it makes even less sense. Yeah. Okay, one uh, one other show that I have watched a couple episodes of, but Jen hasn't gotten to yet, and it's it's one that I think we were both surprised that anybody liked, and that is the TV adaptation of Lethal Weapon. We talked about it before because uh, Clayton Crawford takes over the Mel Gibson role from the movies. Clayton Crawford is one of the stars of the show Rectify, which Jen and I have raved about for years now. It also stars Damon Wayans, who, let's be honest, who doesn't love Damon Wayans. And it also stars Keisha Sharp. He pl- she plays um, uh, Trish Murtaugh, who's Damon Wayans' character's wife. She also played Johnny Cochran's wife on O.J. Simpson. Jordana Brewster is in it as well. So it's a show that it's, it's Lethal Weapon. But it's really funny. 
The characters are really interesting. Clay Crawford's character, Martin Riggs, same character as, as Mel Gibson, is really super deep and really super complex. He has a death wish. He, he has, I don't want to get too far into it, Jen, because there are some things revealed in this pilot that I think are, um, I don't want to spoil. So there are some things revealed in this pilot that I don't want to spoil because I, I do recommend you watching this. It's funny. The first episode is really funny. It sets up the characters really well. The second episode really digs deeper into who these characters are. So I think they've done a really good job of setting it up. The thing that concerns me the most is that it's executive produced by Mick G. Mick G. From yeah. the OC? Yeah. Um, is, he for, is he from the OC? I, I, yeah. Uh, Mick G. He's done some terrible terrible movies but he's also done some really pretty good tv shows he was a director and a producer uh, on chuck he directed the the pilot episode but he produced the whole series he did produce jen nikita which starred maggie q um he was a director uh, and one of the creators of the mysteries of laura which i think is super weird but he was he did fast lane which was a tv show that i actually liked but he did the charlie's angels movies um terminator salvation um and just some other really bad movies so i don't know what that means for the prognosis of this moving forward but i've really enjoyed it i've been shocked at how much i enjoyed it and i don't know if it's it's damon wayans and clayton croft are just super charismatic guys but i'm i'm gonna keep up with it. I think I'm going to binge it. I, as you can see, I don't live watch a lot of these things and I'm not hard passing on many, but I think it's enjoyable. And Jen, I actually think you'll like it. I don't think this will be a live show for you, but it's, um, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. No, I'll check it out on demand. I just didn't get around to it. I love those two guys. And despite McG and his bad decisions is to go by McG. Um, <laughs> I'll give it a chance. <laughs> I was, Drinking water when you said that, and I literally almost spit-taked all over my computer monitors. All right, so before we wrap up this television section, Jen, are there any other shows that you want to mention that are new to television that you want to live binge or pass? I think I'm going to revisit Atlanta. Hmm. Um, I watched the first episode, didn't fall in love with it, and I was like, all right, this is fine. You know, I hope... Childish Gambino, what the hell's his name? Donald Glover mm -hmm. succeeds because I love him. Ever since then, it's been like critically darling. Everyone's raving about it. It's the greatest show ever. So I'm going to watch a few more episodes and see if I fall in love with it like everybody else or if I'm going to stick to my original assessment of it. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a good one. Another show that I was shocked to enjoy and shocked that critics enjoyed is the remake of The Exorcist, also on Fox. I watched the pilot. I've not gotten to the rest yet, but this will be one that I binge um, because it was really good. It was not what I expected it to be. It was not a cheesy, you know, attempt at being a scary television show. It was a very deep, very character driven, introspective horror drama um, and I really, really enjoyed that. It, it stars the names. The name is Gina Davis. She's one of the, the stars. It also co-stars Alan Ruck as her husband, who I think has uh, been a great character actor for a long time. Uh, Alfonso Herrera plays the other main character, one of the other main characters. He's a, a, a young priest. Uh, ben Daniels plays kind of the more seasoned priest who is the one who kind of knows all about um, exorcisms and things like that. So I was it was really compelling and really, really powerful. Uh, I enjoyed it far more than I anticipated. And I only watched it because TV critics that I respect said that they enjoyed it a lot as well. So I watched it and I'm going to keep with it, Jen. We we both watched the, what was it, Showtime or Cinemax? It was a Cinemax show, Outcast, right? Yeah. That had to do with exorcisms based on a comic book. Um, you stuck with that one. I did not. This, to me, is a very much a, a companion piece to Outcast. It is not necessarily the gruesome, bloody thing that Outcast was at times. 
uh, at least not in the episode that I've seen, but in terms of the emotional and personal and interpersonal damage that demonic possession can have on people, at least in this world where those things exist, um, that's kind of the focus. So I'm very interested in this and excited to see how it goes and how they're able to keep this up for a season or multiple seasons, depending on uh, if it keeps going forward. Okay, then. Uh, side note, I do hope you go back to Outcast because the season finale of that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. So, Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I just it was just it came out at a time. I think it was airing in the spring, so it was right in the middle of Tony time where I have less of a life than I already do and just wasn't able to keep up on it. So, um, yeah, I might check that out at some point. Cool. No Tomorrow's been called one of this fall's best new shows. It's all kinds of cute. Well, I thought that was going to go somewhere. Tuesdays. It's just time for every second. Don't just see it. Life is short. Seize it. I don't want to waste another minute. Some risks are worth taking. This doesn't seem like you. You're more of a play it safe kind of girl. (laughs) No Tomorrow. New hit series, Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on The CW. All right, per the use, we're going to close this show out with a little show and tell where Jen and I auditorily show you something and then tell you why it's important. Jen, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Uh, I would like to share with you a new movie by Jordan Peele. Hmm. Um, He is obviously known from the comedy duo Key and Peele, sometimes a little bit overshadowed by Keegan-Michael Key, Mm -hmm. unjustifiably, but he's uh, really becoming an amazing writer. So when he said he had a new movie out, um, I was all excited because I was so in love with Keanu. And then I watched the trailer, and it is a thriller that looks like a bit of a horror movie. And it's basically about scary white people. So um, the the movie is entitled Get Out, and it is about a black man who's dating a white girl played by uh, Brian Williams' daughter. What's her name? Allison. Yeah. And she's taking him home to meet her family and they live in the South. So you can imagine, but the trailer is surprising because you, you hear from the mind of Jordan Peele and you're like, cool here. We're going to laugh. Not funny. Very, very scary, scary white people. So um, just check out the trailer for get out. Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might want to, you know, mom and dad, my black boyfriend will be coming out this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> <laughs> so look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how are you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out! Yo! If there's too many white people, I get nervous. (laughs) No. No. No, 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 no. All right, well, I'll definitely check that one out. For my show and tell, Jen, I think if you put any thought into this and were able to remember eight days ago, you would probably be able to guess what my show and tell is. Do you want to take a guess? Eight days ago, October 1st. Um, no. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it is something that you texted me about or tweeted me about. Uh, something that I already knew because I have a, uh, a friend of mine named Lori Schmidt, who is a sports reporter in Columbus. She was at the Ohio State Rutgers game, oh, yeah. and she sent me a, a message on Twitter that the best damn band in the land, the Ohio State Marching Band, was doing an ode to Broadway as their halftime show, and included were references to Wicked, to Hamilton, to The Lion King, to uh, Spamalot, and more. And if you are familiar with previous um, halftime shows from Ohio State's marching band, you know that they are not exactly your traditional marching band shows. So this, uh, so this show included an actual the the band 
in the formation of a flying monkey. It had them recreating the Hamilton logo. It was very much not what you'd expect from a marching band, but that's why they're Tabiddle, the best damn band in the land. So, in the show notes, uh, we will have a link so you can watch the entire 10-minute show. And what's interesting about this, Jane, is if you notice, the Ohio Stadium seats over 107,000 people. And halftime at homecoming, almost nobody gets out of their seats because that's how much we love our marching band at Ohio State. That is true. I wish that were a trend that carried throughout the entire college football world because a lot of people have no respect for the marching bands. But Ohio State, as much as I don't like the team, (laughs) one of the best, if not the best in the world. We'll have that in there. I'm always proud of it. I, you know, I'm an Ohio State diehard, born and raised in Columbus, went to Ohio State, you know, super uh, connected to that university. But I get goosebumps when I see the marching band march onto the field. I tear up when they do script Ohio. Uh, it's, it's, the, the marching band is an integral part of that university and for every fan and alumnus, uh, they are a representation of, of, of what our school is. So very proud of them to be able to blend that with one of my other loves, which is Broadway. And Jen, I know you liked it, especially because of the Hamilton stuff. Of course. I mean, I literally only saw that clip, but I'm going to watch the whole thing. Jen, normally we were going to record a list of Palooza. In fact, our special 10th list of Palooza. But the last we did one, we decided to do the our favorite top 10 TV moments of the previous calendar year. Then what happened is, is you decided to not be able to record for like eight months at a time. So that seems to be a little unnecessary to talk about the previous TV season since we're already like almost a month into the new TV season. So instead, for our next 10th List of Palooza episode, you're going to reveal our topic for that one, and then we'll do it when we record our next regular episode. So Jen, what is our special episode X, that's 10 in Roman numerals, List of Palooza theme? Well, let's go back to our Broadway roots um, for the special 10... 10th anniversary list, and let's do our top 10 favorite Broadway show tunes of all time. Okay. 10th anniversary is kind of overselling it. I don't know that. <laughs> it's really our 10th anniversary, but that's fine. We can go with that. 10th anniversary. 10, the 10th. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, okay. Clarifying things, as I often have to do with these lists, are we only saying show tunes? So tunes that were in the shows, not things that were written either added to movie versions or not things that were from movie musicals only. So we're just saying legit Broadway show tunes. Broadway show tunes. Okay. Fair enough. So nothing like um, from one of my favorites, uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Or nothing from... um, Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. Fair. So, okay, that's a good one, though. But Singing in the Rain did get turned into a stage show, but it had to have originated on Broadway or off Broadway. I assume off Broadway is okay too. Yes. Okay. We have to include the fantastics. All right, cool. We can do that. So, uh, the top 10 show tunes 
of all time. That's good. I think that's very good. Very circular. We started this list of Palooza things with um, with two theater-related lists, so I think that's appropriate. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Sound Like a Pop podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Sound Like It Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us, please and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, and topics that we discuss every week. We're right, but if you have a differing opinion, please tell us why you're wrong. And if you need more of me and your ear holes, check out today on Broadway from Broadway Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or BroadwayRadio.com. We will be back in the nearest future because, Jen, I guess this is... Is this the premiere of our third season? Is this officially like our back to our third season now? I'm, I'm not sure if it's official, but let's pretend that it is. Okay. We'll be back into our uh, our fairly regular schedule here in a couple weeks where we will have a new episode where we'll talk all about TV and film and maybe some theater as well. And then we'll get you into a new list of Palooza episode about our favorite show tunes. So until then, we'll see you around the Broadway world.